0: Let's give our attentive listening to the reading of God's word. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us to worship you, gathering not only us but also your, your covenant children to hear about the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that impacts our lives, how it can even be made visible in our city. Lord, teach us your word um, and, and plant them uh, deep in our hearts so that we would bear such fruit, uh, so that we would see more of you in our lives, uh, so that we would be better witnesses to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're at the end of our Revelation series. This is going to be the last sermon in our uh, Revelation series and probably our 42nd or 43rd sermon. We've spent most of the year 2022 working through the book of Revelation and here we are at the end Um, and ironically maybe at the beginning of the new year, right, we've come to the end of a series in the beginning of a new year. But it's really appropriate, in a sense, Uh, this last chapter of the the book of Revelation, and really the last chapter of the entire canon, the the whole Bible, uh, it's really the first chapter of our eternity, the first chapter of our forever. C.S. Lewis, he took a page out of Revelation when he concluded his Chronicles of Narnia series. And in in the closing of the last battle, these are the last words that he wrote uh, when he wrote Narnia. It goes, and for us, this, the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1. Chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What we see in chapter 22 of Revelation is not just the conclusion of the world, but the beginning of the new world. It's not the last chapter of this world, but chapter one of the world without end. It's the coming coming of the kingdom of God, new Jerusalem, new heaven and new earth as we saw in chapter 21. Everything's new. Everything is just getting started. And and it's a vision that therefore confirms for us what we long for so much uh, deep down inside new creation continuing existence a world without pain without mourning without suffering without disease without death in a world that isn't just spiritual abstract and you know elusive but tangible and physical and palpable we will dwell there physically in god's new creation with physically resurrected bodies doing physical stuff we will feast we will play we will work we will create we will produce and we will travel and how is this possible because we as we saw God has brought this new reality to us by undoing and, and bringing to righteous judgment all that belonged in the old creation This world that is currently filled with all this groaning and brokenness and injustice, it will all be made right when King Jesus returns. When all becomes undone in his kingdom. In his kingdom, all of the, the failed dreams of this life get fulfilled. And his first coming at Christmas, which we just celebrated, was the announcement of that kingdom, the beginning of that presence here on earth. And what we see in this vision in his second coming is, how he will complete that picture when he comes again. And what I want to do today is give you a, a, a more detailed summary of what we see in chapter 22 with, with these two, two point two big points. One, what we see in the new creation and who we see in the new creation. These two, all right? What we see in the new creation and who we see in the new creation. All right, so uh, point number one, the what. Start from verse 1, and and let's work our way down. Um, You see there, there's a river of the water of life, and and it's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it comes through the middle of the street of the city. And then in verse 2, you see the tree of life, and not just one, multiple trees of life, on either side of the river, and it is fruit-yielding, Life-giving. Do you notice here the merging of the, the garden language and, and, the, and, the, and the city language? Uh, in the beginning of creation, there was right only the garden. And then in between the, the fall and Jesus' second coming and where we are right now, the millennium, the symbolic millennium, uh, we've been trying to create a flourishing human city on our own where we try to populate it with life, with economy, with order, with creativity. But we haven't done all that great of a job. Uh, Our cities are filled with brokenness and poverty, homelessness, sickness, and disorder. But here in this new creation, we see all the beautiful things that were in the original garden now coexisting with the city of God. It's both rural and urban. It's both country and contemporary. It's both natural and technological. It's both restful and productive. It's what we really want. I don't know if you can identify with these desires, this simultaneous desire to be immersed in passionate work, to be productive, to be creative, and to be fruitful at what you do, and at the same time, wanting to break from it all. Get away from all the work and rest. Travel. And when you travel, what do you do? You, you behold the beauty of nature, of creation, of creativity. You take in things more than you put out things. And this existential inhaling, exhaling, this thing that we all need... Uh, is proven true in the new creation. I think we, we would all go a little crazy if all we did was intaking, vacationing, without producing, without working, without being creative, without using our gifts. And, and at the same time, we'll also go a little crazy if all we did was producing and being creative and working without intaking, without beholding, without rest. But in God's new creation, there's a perfect balance of, of each. Each what we take in, and what we put out. This perfect balance of work and rest, creation and enjoyment, fruit-bearing and fruit-eating, which is what God really displayed for us in Himself when He created the world and then rested. That's what we're entering into with God in His new creation, both His work and His rest. That's a big part of the what that we see in the new creation. And we have to take from this the very practical application that, on the one hand, if this vision is true and this is something you hope in, then this frees you from hoping in your current work, your current achievements in the present. On the other hand, this also frees you from hoping in your current rest, because let's be honest. Neither our work nor our rest are complete on this side of heaven, right? The work we do, filled with thorns and thistles. The rest we strive for, incomplete, often exhausting, right? We've all had that vacation when we come back and we're like, we need rest from that vacation. And, and all the more so if you're a parent, right? But see, that's what you would expect if your ultimate hope is in the kingdom of God where you believe your truest and your deepest longings are met, then you would know this imperfect world will never give you the most satisfying work. This imperfect world will never give you the most satisfying rest. But encountering this imperfect world will cause you to hope in the better world, the world that is to come, the world that Jesus promises to bring with him. And until then, your expectations are neither overly idealistic nor overly pessimistic. Because you know all you're getting right now are just glimpses. Glimpses of success at work. Glimpses of glory. Glimpses of something good. And you also catch glimpses of true rest. Glimpses of peace. Glimpses of stillness and quiet. But the most Completely satisfying work and the most completely satisfying rest you will only enjoy in the new heaven and the new earth. So if you don't find this at home, if you don't find this in your office, uh, do not despair. You're not meant to find it here. You're meant to find all this in the better country, in the new heaven and the new earth. And I hope this is something that you take into account as you look forward to whatever it is. Ahead of you in 2023. Namely, not putting your hope in 2023. But in Revelation 22. That whatever comes at you this coming year, whatever the disappointment, whatever the loss, whatever the trial may be, you still have a hope that keeps you grounded, that keeps your head up, keeps your heart safe. But that can only be true to the degree that you deposit your hope, your thoughts, your heart, in the coming kingdom of god not in some earthly kingdom that you're striving to create with your hard work with your relationships with your money with your possessions because no matter how hard you, you plow and sow and plant and water and repeat you will never produce this tree of life you find in revelation 22 you will never be able to produce that on this side of heaven that is not yet here And you are not the one to bring it here. It's your Savior. It's your King. It's your Lord. And He says, it is coming soon. Do you trust Him? Do you wait for Him? Do you turn to Him every day by going to Him and His promises and His Word? Do you think upon the coming King John Calvin said we should spend our lives thinking about immortality. Do you? Do you think about immortality? Do you ponder about the the true story of your life that will begin to be written, the chapter one of the rest of your eternity that will unfold when Jesus returns? Are you still dwelling on your prologue, your preface, the here and now? But as we fix our eyes on Jesus and turn our eyes upon Jesus, our hearts will grow towards his kingdom every day. Even as our body is wasting away, as Paul says, even as we lose our health and our wealth, Paul says the outer man is wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. How? As you, as you remember what is to come. What is awaiting you in the future? That this hope is yours. And it's not abstract, guys. It's not just spiritual concepts. This is a physical, tangible, palpable kingdom of God coming to greet you. That's the what. All right, here's number two, the who. Well, it says in verse two, the tree of life yields 12 kinds of fruit. And we've seen this number throughout the book of Revelation, haven't we, that the number 12 represents all the people of God, given the 12 tribes in the Old Testament, 12 apostles in the New Testament. And it's a reminder that God has one people and he will bring them into his one kingdom. He will rule over them as their one king and they will dwell with God in his one world, world without end. Now, what is the reason that the people of God are there? What are the qualifications that these people, if any, bring with them into this eternal heavenly new creation? Verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, all right? Uh, First, look here. Unlike the the garden where, where sin entered and caused Adam and Eve to hide themselves from God, in the new creation, God's people will see him face to face. How? The only qualification they have is that the name of the Lord will be on their foreheads, okay? What does that mean? Uh, It's an allusion to the the high priest in the Old Testament who had the engraving of a signet on their forehead that says, holy unto the Lord. It's it's how consecrated and set apart they were, which is why they alone were able to enter the Holy of Holies, the very literal presence of the glory of God. But in the new creation, all of God's people, right? The 12, the 12 times 12, the 144, the 144,000, all the people of God are high priests, marked holy unto the Lord on their foreheads. Those are the who, who will be found in the new creation. And I know that answer doesn't really, be, doesn't really answer the, the question, but raises another question, because now we have to ask, okay, how am I supposed to be that? How, how am I supposed to be holy unto the Lord like that? Because when I... When I look at my life, I, I see all that is unholy. All the unholy thoughts, words, and deeds of my life makes me question whether I will be one of these people with this mark on my forehead when Jesus comes. How will I be this consecrated and set apart unto the Lord? Well, the, the answer is here. It's a symbolic text. So we have to do a bit of excavating, but the answer is here. We had just read early in verse 1 that there is a river of the water of life. And where does it flow from? It flows from the throne of God and from the Lamb. The Lamb. This is the most important who in the new heaven and the new earth. It's the Lamb of God. Who is this Lamb? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of his people. It is Christ. This this river of life, this cleansing water, comes from him and him alone. You see that? It doesn't, this river, this water of life that cleanses you, that gives you life, it doesn't flow from the saints. It, It doesn't flow from the priests. It doesn't flow from human worship or human accomplishments. It doesn't flow from the angel's extravagant worship. It flows from the throne of God and the Lamb directly to His people. You can only get this water, this cleansing, this purifying from Him and Him alone. It's, in other words, top-down. It's not bottom-up it's a gift from God not your achievement from below it's Christ drawing near to you by his works not you needing to draw near to him with yours this is the gospel you get the tree of life because he took upon himself the tree of death the tree of judgment the tree of condemnation you get the signet holy to the Lord on your forehead because he put on his own forehead the crown of thorns. You get into his kingdom of light where there's no darkness, there's no night because the darkness that separates sinners from the Almighty, the holy, holy, holy God fell upon Christ at his crucifixion. In other words, in Jesus Christ who took the tree of your death, your crown of thorns, your night of separation, you have a savior who can make you new enough for this new creation? But you gotta go to him. You must go to him and him alone. This river of life, the water of life, comes from no one else but him. He who was entitled to it all and surrendered it all for your sake, so you would get what he alone deserves. And so he says that the only thing that's left to say come to me. Come to me. I'm all you need, the rest of this epilogue, the conclusion of this book, and really the conclusion of the whole canon, the Bible, is a simple exhortation. And it is this, come. Verse 17, take a look at verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Have you come? Have you partaken of this water of life? Have you turned to Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? Here's how you know you get to be part of the who. But you've got to answer this question. Do you desire this? Do you desire Him? More important than asking whether you believe in Him, you have to ask yourself whether you desire Him. Because only those who desire Him and thirst for Him will be able to take this water without price. So come thirsty, come weary, come tired, and come empty and he will satisfy you with his water of life that's the final exhortation to you from god in his word come to me and drink and the the amazing reality is that you can begin to drink from him even now as we hear the gospel as you open up the scriptures as you as you ingest his word through faith and the more you drink from it the more you eat of it the more you the more you worship according to it you will begin to even now, prioritize your life according to this. Even now, love and serve one another according to this. Even now, bear with one another. Forgive even your enemies according to this good news. And remind yourself, therefore, I, I'm, a king, I'm a citizen of a different kingdom. I belong to a different... I'm part of the 12. I'm part of the 144. I'm a child of God now and forever. And I hope everything we do in the coming year as a church will ultimately be for this purpose, whether it's Sunday worship, community group, mercy ministry, singles ministry, all so that through these ministries, more people will press deeply into who they really are in Christ, the child of God who thirsts, thirsts for the living God. And that, that's why we come. And that's why we invite others to come. That's why we exhort others to come and worship Jesus, discover Jesus, Fall in love with Jesus, with us. So let's draw close to Jesus this year and, and, and closer to him than, than this past year. Um, practice wisdom, make some changes, commit to some new habits that may help you, but it's not it's not because you need more self-help, it's not because you need more self-growth, self-improvement, self-manifesting, whatever that means, but it's so that you would gain more of Christ. C.S. Lewis said, um, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. All that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Let's not busy ourselves with things that will be eternally outdated, but let's get more of Jesus. Let's grow more into Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day, and... Another new day uh, where we feed upon your new mercies that you, you promised us every day. We pray that one of those mercies today will be that we, we remember where we're headed. We remember um, the, the longing you have deposited in our hearts, the longing for your new creation. So that, Lord, our hope would not be here. Our hope would not be in how much we accomplish this year, how much money we make this year, what new relationships we will cultivate this year, but our hope would ultimately reside in your coming kingdom. Lord, may we, therefore, uh, turn our eyes upon you and look full, more fully, in your wonderful face and, and let the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of your glory, in the light of your grace. We ask all this in your Son's name. Amen.